Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings, Silah. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all of your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. And from Mark 4, the parable of the growing seed, followed by the parable of the mustard seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. In the parable of the mustard seed, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Lord, Thank you. Lord, may your word live in us. Very much free to your glory. Thank you very much, Ken. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, minister to us, we pray in the words that are spoken. We ask that it would be your words and the voice we hear your voice, and that in the message that is given, there may be something that is relevant for each of us that we are able to take from this place and, uh, and make sense of in our lives, that it would lead us to greater faithfulness as we seek to serve you. So speak, Holy Spirit, we pray, for we, your children, are listening. Amen. Some of you are old enough to remember with me that um, before the days of dating apps and Tinder or internet matchup sites, before all of those things, you had to actually ask a person 
if uh, they liked you and if you'd want to go on a date with them. Do you remember that? Yes, good. My brothers and I, we sort of have a running argument uh, with the sisters-in-law in our house because we, we're four brothers and, um, and uh, we, we always argue with the sisters-in-law as to which was more torturous. To have to build up the courage to ask and then nervously kind of hope that they're going to say yes or for the girls to have to sit around and nervously hope that they're going to ask you in the first place. Now, these days you don't really have uh, so much to worry about. You just kind of swipe right or swipe left or whatever it is, or you block them if you don't like them or uh, whatever it is. But back in, the, back in the good old days, your dating life was, was powered by raw courage and fueled with blind optimistic hope that you weren't going to get shot down in flames. I remember those feelings very well. I remember what it felt like to lie awake at night trying to build up the courage to ask a girl out. I remember what it felt like to hope with all your heart that she would say yes. I remember what it was like when they did say yes. When they did say yes, I had the same feeling with all the girls that I went on dates with, both of them, and. And I do, I remember the hope. I remember the hope of thinking what could be, hoping that this would be a wonderful potential relationship, that kind of sense of hope. That's a, in a nutshell what hope is. And it's amazing what hope does. Hope puts a spring in your step. It puts it in a positive frame of mind. You live a little bit differently when you live in the hope of something. Not just a relationship, but to live in hope is to live differently. It's to live with a, a greater mindset, with a bigger picture. Hope is one of the most powerful and one of the best things. I've known so many people who so many times have been at death's door in a hospital. And you would probably know of these sort of things in your life as well. But somebody is dying, somebody is uh, sort of in their last days, but there's news of a child or a grandchild who's making their way to come and say goodbye. And because of the hope of seeing that person, the one who's dying is literally able to keep death away. Have you ever had that experience? Do you know people where that has happened? They literally live in hope beyond what doctors think they should be possible, what should be possible. They, they defy the physics of death. And when that person has been, when that child or that grandchild has visited, they die um, within a few hours uh, or something like that. It's amazing the power of hope. It's amazing what hope does. In the film Shawshank Redemption, which is one of my all-time favorite films, after I preached this morning service, somebody said to me, that was on last night. Did you watch it? Did, did anybody see it last night? I was, I was watching the rugby with tears in my eyes. Uh, I didn't see it on TV, but The Shawshank Redemption is an incredible film where a man whose name is Andy Dufresne is wrongly convicted of murder and is sentenced to life in prison in the prison of Shawshank. And when he gets there, he meets up with a man whose name is Red, and they become friends. Red is also in prison for life. Andy has hope, Red doesn't. And the film essentially chronicles the difference 
between living in hope and living without it. And in one of the best scenes in the movie, Red says to Andy, he points at him with a spoon, they're busy eating lunch, and he says, hope is a dangerous thing. It'll drive a man crazy. It has got no use on the inside. And Andy replies to Red, he says, no, you're wrong. Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. It gives you something that they can never take away. Hope gives you something to live for. Hope. It's an amazing film, but before you rush out and show it to your kids on the recommendation of me, I will say this, it doesn't sugarcoat prison life. It is not a kid's movie. That's why I couldn't actually show any clips for the sermon because the language is a little bit colorful. But the film does do an amazing job in demonstrating the power of hope and the difference between having hope and not having it. And what can happen when you live in what Andy Dufresne says is the best of things. What's that all got to do with the parables this morning with the tales of the mustard seed? Well, it was exactly through this parable that Jesus sought to provide hope for the people, to give them a sense of something to live for, a picture of the future that would be different from the past and from the present, a picture of the future where God is in His rightful place and the people are in their rightful place. You see, Jesus came into a world that was uh, in the grips of the, the power of Rome. Rome was on the rise. The oppression of Rome was on the rise as well. And the people, while not in a physical prison, they certainly weren't free either. Persecution for the Jews was on the increase. And the idea of ever having the status of God's chosen people looked like it would never, ever happen. They were under Roman rule, and there was no end to that in sight. What's more, they had been under persecution for longer than any of them could remember. The only hope that they had was in a Messiah that would come and wage war against this empire. But the Messiah that they envisaged would never come because their concept of the Messiah was so skewed that it was the antithesis of everything that Jesus stood for. Even with all the prophecies before them, they could not recognize that the Messiah was actually right in their very midst. And so when the Messiah comes, he speaks to them in ways of parables that they can understand, and he seeks to bring for them a new hope. Not a hope of a, of a war that will never happen, but a new hope of a life to live for, a new way of living, a new understanding of what the kingdom of God is actually about. That it isn't some far-off place and some long-awaited destination, but that they can live in the kingdom of God right where they are. The kingdom of God, the parable begins with, the kingdom of God is like this, says Jesus. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Sit up and take notice. This is how you live in the kingdom that you seek, is what he is saying to these people. This is where your hope is. And do we ever need that message of hope today? When we look around and we see less and less people who are interested in God and, and interested in the church, we see a, a rising growth of secularism and an, an aging population within Christianity. We see that things go wrong and seemingly Bad people prosper while good people seem to suffer. And if we're not careful, 
we can very easily slip into that same mindset of the Israelites. A mindset that says things will only come right one day when we die and get to heaven. One day when we get to heaven, everything will be fine. That's not what Christ wants for us. That isn't the life that he promises. The kingdom of God is all about now. It's about living in hope now. One of my favorite quotes, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, is that Jesus isn't concerned about whether there's life after death. He's concerned about whether there's life before death. Do we live in the hope of the kingdom of God here and now? Are we living in the sense of hope that, of, of what Christ has died for, what he has promised us? Or are we just thinking one day when we die, everything will be fine? This is what the kingdom of God is like, says Jesus. It's like a beautiful plant grown from the smallest of seeds, bringing shades and birds and beauty. And he begins to paint a picture of hope that is very different to the picture that the people have been told by the priests, different to the picture that they used to. It's a picture of encouragement. It's a picture of a, a new type of greatness. It's a picture of a kingdom that the people are a part of. This is not the priest's usual definition of greatness. It's also not the kind of crowd-manipulating and controlling picture of guilt and sin that the priests use to, to um, hold the Israelites captive. What it is is a picture where the greatness of God, the goodness and the beauty of God inspires a sense of obedience and a desire to to be part of this kingdom that we're living beyond any, what any human could possibly do on their own. Jesus' hope that he offers is different to what the world is. The kingdom of God is different. It's this huge tree with its shade and the magnificence that, that God causes to grow. It's a beautiful thing which, which brings in beauty and wonder as the birds come in and perch. This is what the kingdom of God is like. We can easily forget this type of hope of the kingdom of God. We live in a, a world where only bad news makes the news, where it's easy to see the negativity of things around us, where the pressures that we face and the busy, difficult lives that we lead can almost become that sort of virtual prison that, that builds walls around us and keeps the beauty of the kingdom out. We can become lost in a, a worldly sense of hopelessness. And we don't always see the godly hope of, of what Christ brings to us. The glory of moments where we get to see little glimpses of the kingdom of God and its beauty, like that mum at the checkout counter. You know, the other day, I was down in Brisbane for some, uh, some studies. And we, uh, the, the place when we're doing these lectures that gets the most business is the guy who runs the coffee machine. He's, he's printing money there, I'm telling you. And uh, we were queued up. There were about three or four of us in this queue. And I was third in a row. And there was a guy and two people in front of me, one of my colleagues who I'm studying with, was going through a bit of a rough time. His, um, his mum was ill. He had a big funeral on in his congregation. He was just really struggling. And he was talking to somebody standing next to him. He had ordered his coffee, his... The barista was making the, the thing, the coffee, and it came out. And the whole time he's talking and he's telling the story fairly loudly so we can hear. But he's waving his bank card around and, uh, you know, talking like this, getting ready to pay for his coffee as soon as it comes. And 
He was so involved in this conversation that when the coffee came, he took the coffee. I think he thought, oh, I must have already paid for it. So he put his card away and off he walked with his cup of coffee. And the barista who was standing there was sort of like, oh, you know, um, and we had, the problem was we'd all heard the story. We'd all heard the sadness of what was going on in his life at the time. And so the guy who was in front of me just said to the barista, leave it, I've, I've got it. I'll pay for his coffee for it. And for me, the, the beautiful part of the story is the guy who's got, who got the free coffee, he still doesn't know that his coffee was free. He still thinks that he paid for it. He honestly does. He doesn't know there is, there is never gonna be any credit given to that guy who paid for the coffee, nothing. But for me, it was again just a little sign, little moments where you see the kingdom of heaven breaks through in this world in which we live. When we live in the kingdom, we live with, with glimpses of, uh, with different eyes that see glimpses of things that, that the world doesn't necessarily take note of. Moments that are part of ushering in this kingdom, moments of, of living in hope. Last week we looked at what the kingdom of God was about in terms of forgiveness, being forgiven and, and being able to forgive. Today we see that it is a kingdom where we live in hope. If you look at the, the parable of the mustard seed, I, I, love the, I love these two parables. The emphasis is on the fact that the person in the first parable, that he plants the seed. God is the one who causes the growth. There is nothing more than planting and watering that that person can do. You cannot will that seed to grow. The rest is up to God. The little moments that we usher in the kingdom, God does the rest. And the second parable emphasizes the size of the growth, that it's from the smallest little seed, the smallest little effort, that God brings about the greatest beauty of His kingdom. The hope and beauty of the kingdom of God, of things different, lies in you and I being willing to usher in the most basic little things, glimpses of, of, of what we can do, and God brings in the magnitude and beauty of the kingdom as it breaks through all of the ugliness in this world. The smallest of efforts. I recently read the last story of a pilot of a, a bomber in World War II, and he tells the story of one of his bombing runs into Germany towards the end of the war. And on this particular mission, things went pear-shaped. They had gotten incorrect intelligence. They were under heavy fire. They had flown into a barrage of, of anti-aircraft guns and that had just, um, had just ripped into their aircraft. There were these 20-millimeter um, shells that were designed to explode on impact. And he says, as they were flying along, they took several hits, direct hits to the plane, along the side of the, um, of the fuselage, and a whole lot went straight into their fuel tank. But by some miracle, the explosion that they expected didn't come. And they limped the aircraft home, managed to land, the maintenance crew got to work immediately, and uh, they took out of the fuel tank 11 unexploded 20 millimeter shells, 11 shells out of this fuel tank. And curious as to the reason why they maybe hadn't exploded or to the design, they uh, began to carefully dismantle the shells to see what the explosive was inside, what, what happened uh, 
with these things. And uh, a number of the shelves are just empty, just nothing in them at all. But three of the shelves had a little piece of paper rolled up, a little scroll, and it was written on in, uh, in, in, in whatever the Czechoslovakian uh, language is. And they, they got it translated, and it just it read this. Three notes said exactly the same thing in three different shelves. This is all we can do for you now. That's it. This is all we can do for you now. Somewhere, a member of the Czech resistance working in a German munitions factory had omitted the explosives in at least 11 of the 20 millimeter shells that they were putting in, managed to put in a little, a little slip of paper offering hope instead. And he says the effect that that had on them as an air crew was amazing. Knowing that there were other people who were fighting the same fight, who were working together, that these, these little things, little moments were taking place, it gave a renewed sense of hope to them. The hope and beauty of the kingdom of God is that the smallest of our efforts in God's hands brings about the biggest of results and allows us to see a glimpse into what His kingdom is really all about. It's easy to lose hope in this world, but Jesus in His parable says that, there is, that nothing emerges fully grown, but the smallest efforts yield the greatest of results. But we also learn from this passage that the hope of the kingdom of God is all-encompassing. It's an interesting metaphor to compare the kingdom to these trees and plants where Jesus specifically says the birds find rest and shelter. And it's interesting to me because the trees don't choose the birds. You know, the birds choose the trees. And there's a sense in which God is saying, my kingdom is for all people. My hope that I offer is for everyone. The Jews had this very exclusive idea of the, king, of the kingdom of God. And it was a glorious kingdom for them and great pain and suffering for everybody else with a little bit of revenge thrown in for the years of persecution as well. And Jesus comes and changes that and he says, this hope is for all people. The kingdom is like a tree. Whichever birds choose to land in it, the birds choose that, not the tree. John Wesley, the, the founder of Methodism, said this. He said, it's wonderful to have the assurance that you're right, but that doesn't give you the right to hold the assurance that everybody else is wrong. Isn't that awesome? It's wonderful to hold the assurance that you're right, but that doesn't give you the right to hold the assurance that everybody else is wrong. Instead, he says, if your heart follows the one my heart follows, then let us walk together. Isn't that beautiful? If your heart follows the one my heart follows, then let us walk together. The church over the years has spent a lot of time arguing about who the kingdom is for and what the requirements of the kingdom will be, fighting about who's in and who's out. And Jesus confronts us with the 600 laws that the Pharisees and the priests are saying is essential for being in the kingdom. And Jesus says, actually, my kingdom is about hope for all people. It's about this tree that offers shade and rest and beauty. You worry about the seeds. You worry about the planting. You worry about the watering. I'll worry about the birds. Hope doesn't exclude people. The very nature of hope is to be inclusive. Let us walk together. 
I read this great story of a guy who, who dreamt that he died and, uh, and Jesus came to take him into, into heaven. And as he walks through the, the, the gates of heaven, suddenly all the chattering and everything goes silent and people go quiet as he comes in. And he looks around and he looks and he sees some people that he was a bit surprised to see. And he sees some more that he's a bit surprised to see and he, he kind of whispers to Jesus, he says, Jesus, I think, did you bring me to the right place? Because um, I know some of these people and aren't they supposed to be uh, somewhere else? And Jesus, why are they all so quiet and staring? And Jesus says, well, because they're thinking the exact same about you. The kingdom of God is a hope that we live in that is all-encompassing. That God's love is actually for everyone. It's a hope that must also be continually renewed. I am no gardener. I can promise you that. But from what I have read about the mustard seed, it needs tending and care. You need to renew it into another pot when it gets bigger and so on. To be able to live in the hope that God offers us is to be focusing on the kingdom, focusing on, on doing the things that we can do, focusing on being obedient to the will of God. As I said, we live in a world where there is the noise of this negativity if we let it. It can drown out the beauty of what God says is this kingdom that He has placed us in. Beauty of what God says He has in store for us in this life. To remain in the sense of God's hope or to live in the kingdom of God with hope is to know the continual power of God in doing His will, focusing on a, on a hope that is ever-increasing, that we never get to the point of saying, well, enough is enough. I've done all that I need to do. In a later scene from the film in The Shawshank Redemption, Andy is sitting with Red in, a, in, in the yard and they're leaning against one of the stone walls of of the fortress of Shawshank and he says to Red that having hope is about making a choice for your life and he says that choice is as simple as this get busy living or get busy dying and I won't give away the movie but the very last thing you hear Red narrating in a voiceover are the words I hope I hope I hope and he's moved from a place of no hope to a place of, of only having hope. And Andy Dufresne is right. Hope is the best of things. But he didn't get that from a scriptwriter. It comes from Jesus 2,000 years ago. The hope of the kingdom of heaven is a place where we live in the beauty and in the glory of what Jesus says is like a tree that provides shade and beauty for all of us. We live in a renewed sense of hope every day, a world that is a hope that is different to what the world says life is about, a hope that encompasses everyone and a hope that is continually renewed. May we be people of hope. May we get busy living and not busy dying. May we live in the sense of the beauty of hope that God says is the kingdom here and now. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the, the simple way in which you put into stories that we can understand in the kingdom of God. We thank you for the beauty of hope. We thank you that it is the best of things. 
We thank you that we live in the kingdom of hope, a hope, Lord, that knows you are at work in this place. We pray, Lord, that you would use us to bring hope into other lives, sensitize our eyes to see moments of the kingdom breaking through, give us glimpses of the beauty of what we live in. And may, Lord God, we be uh, willing as your children and as your instruments to be a people of hope. For we know, Lord, more than anything else, those who do not know you struggle most with a sense of a loss of hope. May we bring that hope in this world, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.